Amen. How are you today, Calvary? Yeah, that sounds like a few of you guys might be okay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> That's all right. It's been a rough week. I know that. And uh, after Pastor Paulo's sermon last week about uncertainty and faith through times of struggle, we all had a, an opportunity this week to... Uh, to let that go. We are going to release all of our children between grades first through six. Come on over here where Susan is. And, uh, and they're going to take you over to our children's building to, uh, to have a great time and fellowship. Awesome. Wow. Um, just raise your hand. Who lost power or water this week? Um, all right, this service is a little, a little different. The first service, I think it was 75% of the hands went up. And here, I think it's about half. Uh, but what an incredible week this was. If, if I had had the opportunity last Sunday to tell you all to uh, <clears throat> go to Walmart and make sure you gassed up all of your cars, your vehicles, your gas cans, because you were going to need it for this week, how many of you would have said, that guy's crazy? <laughs> But man alive, uh, what, what kind of crazy week this was. We, uh, I think it was Tuesday when all of the, the texts, it was just all day long, and Wednesday was the same, from one uh, really need after the other. People who were, who were losing power, trying to figure out what they should do, where should they get gas. Uh, we, we heard one story that was, was life-threatening. Uh, uh, one of our church members had a family member that was on a breathing machine in their house, and, uh, and things just got dire. The generator started to go out. They were running out of gas and they're just texting. I got the text and within seconds, I had two guys that had called me and said, if you need anything, you know, if anyone in help, just call us. Before I could even call them, I had other texts saying, these people had provided gas and these people had provided gas and that the need was completely met before it even, even, before it even got it out the door. And it was amazing to me over and over as needs were coming in, we found out what was happening, who was having trouble, who, was, who were uh, nervous about things, how quickly people were helping out, whether it was their community, whether it was their home, home group and home fellowship, whether it was members in the church or just neighbors. Uh, I think it was Wednesday and Thursday. I don't know how many people we fed, but, but somewhere in the, the 18 to 30 range where we were just saying that we had some friends that were out of power and they came and got breakfast and then we cooked dinner, they came and got dinner. And, uh, and we were so happy to get to help. And I know so many, we, knew, we had staff members that invited families in our church that didn't have power to stay with them. And, uh, and we knew of many families in our church that were staying with friends. And uh, so what a week, what a week. Uh, I don't know that we'll see another week quite like that in the near future, but it definitely helps us in some ways to kind of grasp this idea that things happen sometimes that we don't understand, that we don't intend, that we're not prepared for. And in those times, we find out a lot about what we really believe. Today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 24, and we're going to find Paul, really for the rest of the book of Acts, we're going to fi find Paul going from one um, uncertain scenario using Paul words to another, over and over and over again. Today, uh, as we start, I want you to know that we're going to find Paul in prison. Uh, last week, he was, he was transferred in, in the scripture we studied from Jerusalem to Caesarea, and, and in the scriptures we read today, we find out that he's in Caesarea for two years awaiting a trial that will take place in Rome. So Caesarea to Rome is a long ways away. And really the rest of the book of Acts is this journey from Paul, from Jerusalem to Caesarea, then he's shipwrecked onto to Rome. And, and, it, and it's just a lot of difficult situation that Paul finds himself in. But we don't find Paul despairing. 
We don't find him in any place. Luke does not tell us the inner workings of Paul's heart. What we find are a few uh, ministry opportunities and, and they happen quickly and they seem to be really succinct and powerful and you see Paul's faithfulness. But today we're gonna talk a little bit maybe what happens in the in-betweens. We're gonna read between the lines just a little bit. But to start, I wanna reference uh, one of my favorite children's stories of all times. I don't know if you are readers, but I love to read. Uh, when I was a kid, I was homeschooled and, and uh, we would finish our school by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning and the rest of the day was open and I didn't have any of the fun gadgets that our, our kids have today. Uh, so I read, I read all the Hardy Boys books, I read uh, Louis L'Amour Westerns, I read anything and everything. I tried Nancy Drew, but I found that a little too girly for me. You know, um, some of you know what Nancy Drew is. I, I, I read all the Frank Peretti books when I became a believer, started reading all the Christian books I could find, and I came across, I'm sure as many of you have, uh, a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Some of my favorite books. For a while, I read them every year. I think for 15 years straight, I read the whole series every year, just as a, just as a way to, to, be, to enjoy the holidays, or I just pick them up and read them every year. They're so much fun. It's, it's really one of the most brilliant Christian minds of, of, of our time. Um, writes this, this allegory, really, of trying to encapsulate the Christian life outside of this world and a fantastic world where animals talk and all this kind of crazy stuff happens. But in the first book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a point where the, 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 the Jesus character Aslan is put to death by the white witch. And there's this moment where the two girls witness it, Susan and Lucy. And I wanna read you this paragraph that C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, just referencing and showing this, the feelings that these two girls have when they witness the event. It says this, it says, I hope that no one who reads this book has been quite as miserable as Susan and Lucy were that night. But if you have been, if you've been up all night and cried until you have no more tears left in you, you will know that there comes in the end a sort of quietness. You feel as if nothing was ever gonna happen again. At any rate, that is how these two girls felt. Hours and hours seemed to go by in this dead calm and they hardly noticed that they were getting colder and colder and colder. And I wanna use that paragraph, just kinda set the stage. You know, authors and poets throughout history have talked about this isolation, the remorse, the fear, the regret, even the numbness of heart that comes when people suffer, especially extreme suffering. Our sermon today, we're gonna to touch on these powerful emotions, these powerful feelings that come with tragedy and pain. And we're gonna be looking at Paul as he endures this difficult time. But before we get into it, I wanna remember, just, just remind you of what Paul has gone through to get to this point. The book of Acts really shares the first half about what happens with the apostles and the, and the, the, the immediate followers of Jesus in Jerusalem uh, before Stephen's death, remember? And then you have the conversion of Paul and it kind of branches us into this whole other part of the second half of Acts is really about Paul's missionary journeys and the places that he went and the things that happened as he went. Three different journeys that really covered the entire known world at the time. And as a part of those journeys, I have this map, I've showed it to you before, but I'm gonna show it to you one more time. It's all the different places where we saw movements 
launched. And those movements, it said, went throughout the region. So like in, in Ephesus, that's the number six there in the middle. That was kind of the capstone of Paul's missionary work, where it says that all the Jews and Gentiles in all the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. You get these, these phenomenal statements of how big these movements were and how impactful the movements that Paul started continued to be. So in many ways, the missionary journeys of Paul impacted the entire known world of the area with really the only one, number two there in the front, I'm sorry, it's number one, Jerusalem being the one that he had the least impact on. Everything else from Antioch, Galatia, Asia, Greece, uh, Thessalonica, and even the people that he sent to Rome. Paul, having not been to Rome, helped plant a church in Rome, even not going himself. And so Paul has been incredibly active. He's, he's been going, going, going. He's been doing exactly what the gospel says. He's been making disciple makers for the glory of God among the nations everywhere that he goes. But today I want to share with you three truths, three, three simple things that, Jesus, uh, that Paul knew about Jesus that helped him go through times like this. The first thing I want you to know is that Jesus, following Jesus is meaningful. And it's not meaningful. I, I wanted to separate the word meaning and full because I want you to see that there's this, this idea that there is not a wasted moment in anything that happens to a follower of Jesus. I think when Paul was sitting in prison for these two years, there were probably many times when he wondered if God had forgotten him. You think about how active he was leading up to this time and then now he's sitting in a cell with a very limited opportunity to share or reach or preach or teach anybody. His scope has shrunk down to just a few people. And uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. You remember last week, Paulo talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were faithful through this really difficult time when Nebuchadnezzar had, had, had captured them and told them, unless they bow their knee to him, they would be put to death. Remember their words to him. He said, if our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow our knees. Over and over in scripture, you find faithful God followers staying firm in their faith, finding meaning even in difficulty, uh, even when it might cost them everything. In each of these stories, we're, we're reminded that God is faithful. He doesn't abandon, uh, abandon his people. And that's the second point, that Jesus is faithful. He follows through and takes care of those who are his own, even if that means he's faithful in the next season if our life ends and he restores us in the next life. If you look with me in the verses here, we're going to look at Acts chapter 24, 1 through 8, and you get the story. I'm not going to read the story. I'm just going to tell it to you. Paul gets to Caesarea and the high priest comes down from, from Jerusalem. Remember, they were trying to to murder him in Jerusalem. They were going to try him in front of the Sanhedrin and they found out that there was a plot to assassinate Paul, so they moved him to Caesarea. So the teachers of the law, they bring a, a lawyer down with them and they, they, they want to prosecute Paul in Caesarea. And so there's a, a, a very simple accusation made and then the, the governor, Felix, gives Paul a chance to respond. So if you start with me in verse 10, we'll look at Paul's response. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I get, gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges that they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. 
I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection both of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and men. If you skip down just a little bit, you see Felix's response. Felix, who was well, this is in verse 22, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilia, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid, and he said, that is enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. I, I read it all in one block like that because I just want you to get a sense. Two years of ministry, and what we have is uh, most of the verses in this chapter about a few words of Paul. We probably, if you were to give him a long time, maybe an hour or two of conversation with these lawyers and with the governor, two years now is reduced to just a couple hours of actual knowing what happened to Paul during the two years. I, I just want to ask you, how do you, how do you, how do you cope with that? If you put yourself, I mean, I wish we had the ability to just put ourselves in a prison for like 10 minutes. Just so you could have the isolation with the doors shut and, and realizing and feeling what it might have felt like. And then imagine you were there for a day or two or five. Like we had power, we were without power, we were stuck in our houses. Uh, those of us that might, you know, the last 12 months with the pandemic, maybe you feel like you've been prevented from doing the things you want to do. You know, so Paul is there for two years stuck in one place. So imagine your, your 10 minutes in the cell turn into 10 days, turn into 100 days, turn into 400 days, 600 days, and we're still under two years. Imagine what it was like. Imagine how he felt. Imagine how you would feel. Maybe you feel like you have things you need to do. Maybe you have things that you feel like you could be doing it for God that you can't do. Paul talked about in many places that his, his concern for the churches themselves were one of the things that makes him very sad. And it fills him with a lot of, of, disc, of, of fear for the churches themselves. And here again, we find in these few verses how faithful Paul is when given the opportunity. We're going to find out next week where he speaks to the next governor. Uh, governor Felix leaves him in jail and he's replaced by Governor Festus. And Paul is faithful and shares the gospel powerfully to Festus and Herod Agrippa. And then he's sent on this voyage to, to Rome and, and he continues to go through these hard times. My, my point is just very simple. Something inside of Paul made this make sense. <laughs> Something inside of Paul made all of the suffering and difficulty that he endured not that big a deal. How is that possible? How is it possible? We, we can look at stories in the Old Testament to, to maybe find a little bit of, of, of idea. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but what about this guy named Jeremiah? Do you remember Jeremiah, the prophet of God? Jeremiah was speaking boldly against the evil of Israel, and the, the people got mad at him. They asked permission, so they dropped him into a well. There was no water, but there was mud. So they sank into the mud. If you're Jeremiah and you're dropped into the well because you're being faithful to God, how do you feel in that moment? How do you feel when you realize you're stuck in the mud and there's nothing you can do about it? You're probably going to die in this pit. If you know the story, you know that the king then rescued him and, and uh, he didn't die in the pit. 
Or you might think of Jonah. He's on the ship. The waves are tossing about and he just has given up. It says, just throw me overboard. That's the only way you're going to live. So they throw him overboard. How do you feel in that moment? You're in the ocean being tossed about by the waves. You know this is the end of your life. And then a fish swallows you and all hope is gained. No, it's not any better when the fish swallows you, right? What about other, other places? David in front of Goliath or Noah seeing the waves rising around the ark. Just put yourself in all what, what is it that fills these people with hope when their stories are hopeless? I want to tell you, I think it's, it's this word I'm going to use. I'm going to call it's wonder. It's, it's awe. A-W-E, awe. It's, it's something about interacting with a God that has the power to create and uncreate in a friendly and fr uh, regular manner. This God that wants us to interact with him personally. And these guys like Abraham or Moses or David or, or any of them, they make mistakes. They're flawed and broken human beings. But this interaction with God fundamentally changes them. And so they can go through what seems to be insane hardship and remain faithful. I don't know about you, but when I put myself in these positions, I don't know how I would actually respond. In small ways, just inconveniences like power or I can't flush a toilet are frustrating and difficult at times. They're hard and they're real problems. I'm not trying to minimize those problems. Please understand me. But they pale in comparison to being thrown in a furnace, right? So we're facing this, this thing where we know that God is bigger, he's faithful, he's, he's given us meaning, and he's, he's, he's working inside of us. And, and I just wonder if we become so comfortable with God that we don't realize how big he is anymore. If he really does the things that we believe he does, or at least the things we say we believe he does, like create and, and forgive and, and, and take away our sin, if all those things are true, then is it okay for us just to act like it's a normal day when we interact with him? Is it okay just to give him one day here and there or some time here and there? This is a God that demands our attention and in doing so gives us everything we could possibly imagine. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things fill us with hope that we wouldn't have otherwise. Somehow Paul understands that the God that reached out to him on the road to Damascus is present with him in the jail, in the prison. And we've seen that throughout Paul's life. We, we, we get to walk with him to these places where he goes through difficulty. <clears throat> if you remember, he was stoned to death in Galatia. He was imprisoned in Philippi. Uh, if you read in 2 Corinthians, it says that he was shipwrecked three times. He was beaten with the lashes multiple times. That there was times when he was hungry and times where he was in prison. Times where he was over and over and over again, Paul suffered. And yet his faith was not just maintained, it excelled. You don't find him in front of the, the governor saying, if you would just let me go, Felix, everything would be fine. You find him giving a bold proclamation for the hope of Jesus with the idea that if Felix were to call Jesus his Lord, Felix's life would be changed as well. Somehow Paul is able to move past his own personal security to such a degree that he only cares about seeing the gospel lived out in the kingdom through the people that he interacts with every day. It reminds me of the story of Job. You guys remember Job in the Old Testament? 
It's one of those really crazy stories, very unique story. Uh, Job is a faithful God follower. He's wealthy. He's blessed. He has a lot of family. Everything is going well. And, uh, and Satan, it's a really odd story, goes before God and says, the only reason he's faithful is because you've given him everything. If you take it away, Job will curse you. And you remember the story, right? God says, no, I don't believe that, so go ahead and take it away. We'll see what happens. And everything gets taken away. All of his children are killed in a storm. His, all of his wealth, his flocks get run off by bandits. And then his health is taken away. And he's covered with sores and he's pain, his existence is painful. Enough so that his wife says, you're a miserable person. Curse God and die. And then most of the book of Job is this conversation between his friends who are trying to tell him to confess, of it, confess his unrepentant sin and, and then die a happy but at least clean man. He said, I don't think I have it. And so in Job chapter 7, verse 20 and 21, you have this, this verse that says, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. And you see the, the, maybe the core of, of Job's existence at this point saying, what have I done? Why are you so against me, God? And I think that in those moments, you find yourself in the same place that Paul probably was at times. You find yourself in the same despair that Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego probably felt before they were thrown in the furnace. You find yourself put in the place of anybody in history that's wondered if God still remembered. We're still here, and do you for, did you forget us? And then a few verses later, and this one it's 21 chapters later, Job 38, you find God's response. And it's not mean, but it's stern. You realize this isn't a God that's looking for our approval. He says this, he says, when the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm, he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Like you don't know what you're talking about. He says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And he says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set and who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy, who shut the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, they said, this far you may come and no further. Here is what your proud Here's where your proud waves halt. So God responds to Job, by the way, with almost, I think it's 200 other questions. These are just the first couple. Who are you, Job? You're upset because of these things? You followed me faithfully, but where were you when I made this place? Where were you when I put the oceans in place? Where were you when I sent the ice storm to Texas? Where were you when I sent the ice storm away from Texas? You who think that you have everything under control, how big are you really? And this idea that this God that made all of that, that made all of us, that created us before we were even born, he knew who we were and he made us just the way we are, all of that wants to interact with you personally. He knows you, he loves you, he made you. And honestly, it says that he made you in his image. Do you know when I see you, Brent, I see God differently than I see God in any other person. C.S. Lewis said that there's five billion different ways to see God on this planet. That was because he died in like 1978 or something. 
Now there's seven billion different ways to see God on this planet. If God put his image in each of us, then we have that many different unique ways of seeing God. If God is that intricate and that detailed in each one of our lives, then how can we come to him with such casual, I don't know, casualness? <laughs> Stay with that. How's that for brilliant articulation? This God that made us loves us. And he said, remember Jesus said this, he said, if you, deny your, if you follow me, you deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow me. This thing is that Paul had a fresh interaction with God every single day he was in prison. And so there wasn't a day that was lost. There may have been moments where he despaired. There may have been even hours. But he knew in his core that the God that spoke to him on the road was the same God that was with him in the jail. After 400 days, after 500 days, after 600 days. And he's the same God that will be with us through anything. That's something worth amening about. That's something worth, worth getting excited about because there's a God that created everything that loves you and wants to know you and wants to be known by you. And that's something that should change the way that we live. This Jesus is wonderful. You know, I, I told, opened this, the, the sermon today with a story from, from uh, Chronicles of Narnia. If you were to, to finish the whole series, most people don't. They all will like the first book. And some people like the second one's kind of hard. So people just kind of get lost there. They don't ever get to book seven. But in book seven, it's called The Last Battle. It's like where everything ends and all of these characters from the whole story all end up in this heavenly place. They're all with Aslan and the joy that's described, the excitement that's described, the, the idea that things keep getting bigger and bigger and better and better and golder and golder and beautiful. It's just this unbelievable picture. And if we could live our lives with this idea that the God that made all of it wants to be close to us, it unpacks a fearlessness to walk through hardship. And you're gonna see in Paul's life the meaning, the faithfulness, the wonder doesn't cease. In fact, it continues to just amaze as you walk through and you see this guy's story, you see an amazing, amazing portrayal of what a faithful follower of Jesus can look like and maybe should look like. So as we close today, I, I wanna invite the worship team to come back out, but here's a couple things. I wanna ask you, are you filled with wonder? Are you filled with wonder or do you have to look back to find wonder in your Christian walk? Do you look back to when you were a new believer and things were fresh and exciting and, and, uh, and then you come back some years and maybe now they become a little bit more mundane? I want to ask you, do you need a fresh revelation of God today? Because I think we need it every day. I think it's something that we're supposed to be looking for and seeking all the time. This idea that the God that made us wants to be with us. Jesus promises never to leave you or forsake you. So take him up on it. Be close to him and let him fill you day in and day out. This week was amazing to see so many, I'd say believers, believers that I know who are just serving and caring and meeting the needs of others around them. I know many believers suffered this week, that they went through a very hard time here in the valley in Texas and really nationwide. And yet, even in their own difficulty, they were helping and, and reaching out to others. Continue to be those people. <clears throat> 
For two years, Paul sat in the governor's prison. And in the end, it didn't finish. The, the next governor took over and then put him on a ship. We know eventually that Paul was released and he got to minister for a short amount of time before being arrested again and then beheaded by the Emperor Nero in Rome. That's what he was looking forward to and just like when he knew he was gonna be arrested when he went to Jerusalem, he knew that things were gonna end that way in Rome and yet he persisted to move forward with faith and passion and excitement for a God that it was worthy to suffer for. My hope is that the God that you serve is worthy to be suffered for, to be passionate for, to be lived for. Because that's why we're here. To give him all that we are. Would you stand with us? Would you stand? <clears throat> Maybe you've never asked God into your life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. Today's a great day to start. If you don't know how to do that, please come find me afterwards or just say a prayer in your heart. Ask God to fill you, to speak to you, to open your heart to him. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you find that it's just not that exciting anymore, then ask God to give you a new revelation, to fill you with something different than what you expected. And realize that we should be filled with this wonder, this hope, this excitement for an amazing, big, and a beautiful God that is bigger than anything we could ask or imagine. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your servant, Paul, and the incredible example he gave us in these scriptures. We pray, God, that you would move inside of us so that we can be drawn to you, that we can be hopelessly and fully in love with you in everything that we say and do, God. We pray that you would help us to be less and less focused on our selfish desires, our selfish ambition, but God, that we'd be completely and fully involved and engaged in your mission. God, use us as your people to impact our families, our community, our state, our nation, and this world. Today, God, we say we need you. We need you close to us and in us. And we need you every day. Be close to us, Father. Fill us with your love. Receive our worship and our lives as worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together.